tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 58. Well, I have to confess that even though I'm a really strong woman with many, many, many opinions, when it comes to conflict, well, I'm pretty much a weenie. I'd rather avoid the topic than actually address it correctly. And yet, we all know that that just doesn't work. Not not all the time, anyway. Well, in today's episode, we're going to talk with Ashley Amber Crombie about a new book she has coming out in August 2021. With so much going on in the world and just so many opinions being flung around, I really felt like we needed to talk about it now. So here we go. Well, it is just an honor to have Ashley Abercrombie back with us today. Um, Ashley, you're one of my favorite people. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing so good. And you're one of my favorites, too. I... I told you this before we started recording, but I want all of your people to know as well how much you blessed me during our first conversation. And you guys, when I told my husband I was doing an interview with Joanna again, he was like, wait, the one who prayed for you? And you just are such a well of wisdom and such a woman of strength. And I am so thankful that our paths crossed. So everyone who's listening, you are so blessed to be in Mm. Joanna's care. (laughs) Oh, that... That's so kind of you. Well, I love how God knits our hearts together, even even though we've never met personally. Now, you've kind of had some changes in your life. Tell us a little bit about that. So my husband and I, last February, we made the decision to move back to the West Coast. So we moved from Manhattan back to the Los Angeles area where I had lived for 15 years and my husband for 10. So we had a deeply rooted community here. And we ended up leaving Manhattan literally a week before COVID just just wrecked the city really. And of course Mm. we're getting it super bad here in California the last year. So, um, you know, we're dealing with the same thing, but in a different way, because we're, we have the option to not be close and not ride subways and that kind of thing. So it's been nice to slow down again. And it's been very nice to be connected in community with others that we have known for a really long time, especially going through such a difficult year. I've really felt like I need the people who know me the best in order Mm -hmm. for me to stay sane and stay saved. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think we've all, no matter where we've li- we're living, yeah. we've felt the effects. And, you know, the thing is, is I feel like so much, even leading up to COVID, you know, that there, there was just some things that were going on that, that I'm so excited you've written a new book to kind yeah. of help us navigate this difficult time because, you know, yeah, COVID is hard, but for me, I think the thing that has grieved me most is just some of the division I feel, not only in the Christian culture versus the, the secular culture, but in the body of Christ itself. And so your, your new book that comes out in August, and we are months early because I'm like, we need this message now, <laughs> is called Love is the Resistance. Learn to disagree, resolve the conflicts you've been avoiding, and create real change. Mm-hmm. Can you just tell us where this book came from? 
Yes. So I have such a deep passion for people to really fully understand what love is. And I am still learning. I will be learning until I meet Jesus what love really is. I mean, there is never a time in my life that I think to myself, I am a, I have arrived in love. I am so good at this. I am an expert. <laughs> no, I feel like I'm constantly doing my best to master love. And it was wonderful writing this book because when it was the seed in my heart for this particular topic, I really was centered on conflict because I thought to myself, you know what? We don't know how to fight in our in our communities and we don't know how to be honest in our communities and we don't know how to, you know, disagree in a way that is honoring and loving and we're afraid of conflict or we avoid conflict completely by being either completely volatile or by, you know, um avoiding it literally, sweeping it under the rug pretending it's not there. And so I thought how much how much I would love to add to people's lives by teaching them that conflict is normal. And then on mm. the back end of that small seed, we went through this crazy political season, this constant divide in the church where it literally felt like the church was just factioning off into how they feel about things and who's right and who's wrong and who's left and who's right and who's red and who's blue. And it just felt like there was constant divide everywhere. You know, who's smarter, who's better, who has a better handle on scripture, who's, you know, saying the right things about politics. And it just felt like, gosh, what is happening? So it was a struggle to write this book in the last year uh, on top of a global pandemic, by the way. And I think that, you know, but I loved writing it because I realized, gosh, we need more help than I ever imagined. I needed more help than I ever imagined. And so I wanted to help people really understand that you can love and still disagree. <laughs> yeah. That you can actually create real change in the spaces that you're a part of and that we don't have to, you know, fall into a bunch of bad habits of demonizing and villainizing people who don't agree with us, who don't look like us, who don't vote like us, who don't act like us. We don't have to make them our villain because Jesus commands us not only to love, but to also love even our enemy. <laughs> so right. we don't get a pass in scripture. And even though we love free speech here in America, and it's a very important right that we have, you know, the Bible actually doesn't give you the right to say whatever you want to say mm. and do whatever you want to do. That's actually not biblical. So we have a higher standard, even the civic standard that we're a part of. And so I just wanted to speak to some of these things in a real way, in an honest way, in a personal way. <laughs> yeah. So, so important. You know, I was thinking as you were talking, we have to learn it in marriage, right? Oh, totally. Yes. If you don't want to be miserable. Yes, that's you do. Right. <laughs> I think one of the big things early in our marriage was, um, especially my husband, because he is totally a peacemaker. Like mm. he loves peace yeah. and it would just be so hard for him to even consider the um that we should be able to agree to disagree. Right. And yet we're two different beings, two different personalities, two different world approaches who both love Jesus yeah. and want to have a successful marriage. Yes. But he here we were. And so we just had to learn to agree to disagree because we were both well-meaning, Jesus-loving people, but we happen to have different worldviews. And yes. the funny thing is we think that 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 is a problem, but that's actually a gift. Can you talk about that, how we need differing opinions? Absolutely. You know, I think that my my kind of context is not growing up evangelical. You know, I grew up in a home where we all thought very differently about everything from politics to religion to how we should live our daily lives. And it was actually okay. And it didn't cost us relationship. And so what I saw happening in the church all the time is that if people had a different political belief, it cost them relationship. If they had a different idea, it cost them relationship. If they thought differently about how we should parent or how you should be married or what things you should do in the church or how you should be a believer, then that would cost people 
people relationship. And I thought to myself, this is so wrong. And there are some caveats here, right? Like I cannot be in relationship with someone who is a complete sexist, who is anti-women, who, you know, it's like, you can't stay in relationship with those people. Or if somebody really struggles with the issue of racism, then I'm not going to want a person in my life that I love dearly to have to constantly be around someone who is dealing with the issue of racism. And so I think that there are some caveats for that, for when you could walk away from relationship, when it made sense, unless it was just full throttle, the leading of the Holy Spirit. But overall, I've seen us walk out of relationships because of the silliest things. And it's like, we are not supposed to agree. And in fact, we see the image of God more clearly when we are in relationship with others who do not think like us, because every person is made in the image of God. And therefore they reveal to us a side of the father that we want to see. They make our life richer. They make our life better. They make us piece together a more beautiful picture of the Lord and how he's created the beloved community of Christ to function. Yeah. That's so good. You know, I, I, I though, c- kind of want to push back a little bit about I can't have relationship with people who sure. don't agree simply because of this. We are living in a cancel culture. Yeah. And so, you know, if we've, if we have our, our pet belief system that you cannot dabble in, you cannot push back in, yeah. I wonder if we're really going to have the full mind of Christ. And mm-hmm. I, I totally get what you're saying. You're saying it's like rabid racism, rabid, you know, um, against women. But, but I do think like, even in my own life, I've got some people really close to me who have seen, um, things differently from the political spectrum. Absolutely. And what was so interesting, yeah, I didn't feel like they were even open to my opinion, but the problem was I wasn't open to theirs either. (laughs) So how can we like, I I just keep thinking of the verse where where Jesus says, let your reasonableness be evident to all. Mm. And it's as though we've lost our ability to reason in the Bible. God says himself, he says, come on, come now, come let's on. reason together. Let us yeah, reason together. On. And I wonder, I wonder if we could let go of our pet biases <laughs> and our, and really go, okay, I, and I've had to do this myself because I found myself feeling judged by them. But the problem was I was judging them as well. And so like being able to say, okay, help me understand your viewpoint. Because I honestly can't. I can't see mm-hmm. one blessed thing valid in your viewpoint. And the problem was they couldn't see anything valid in mine. And so what happened is we ended up polarized. And oh, I'll tell you back in, I think it was back in February, March, God gave me just this word that I shared on my One Thing Mondays that I was doing on Facebook back then on refuse polarization because it was already happening in the body of Christ. Before the election, before COVID, we were getting terribly polarized. Yes. And and we were seeing Christians um, judging one another on doctrinal issues. I mean, I, I've said it before on this website, on this, excuse me, on this podcast, there are whole websites dedicated to tearing down other religious people because our doctrines don't it necessarily align. And man, I'll tell you what, I I just couldn't help but think of, let me look at this for, verse, Galatians 5.15 that says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be devoured by each other. And it's like we've been, we're like so busy protecting our religious rights, not realizing that we're literally devouring Christianity ourselves. We right. don't need 
we don't need atheists to devour us. We're doing a pretty good job ourselves. Completely. <laughs> oh my gosh, you said a whole word right there. And I, I wrote about this in the book. I talk about how through our public witness, and now I am not talking about my husband and I have served as pastors for years, and you do too, you and your husband. And mm -hmm. I know that at that local level, I know Christians who love Jesus. They are shining with the light of the Lord. They are serving people. They are active in their cities. They are engaged in working on behalf of others. And so I know that Christianity as a whole is this beautiful, rich body that is doing good work. And the public witness is in direct conflict to that. And mm -hmm. I write in the book about how the public witness of Christianity has become become a meme. It's just this thing that people on the outside, and I know I'm, I've lived in Manhattan. I live in LA. I'm connected to people who have no connection to Christianity whatsoever. And their only picture of Jesus and who he is and who he loves is this public witness. And they are like, what in the world? I want nothing to do with it. And yeah. from the scandals to the way churches are devouring each other, exactly the way you just talked about from, you know, pundits who call themselves Christians that are out there spewing the most polarizing rhetoric that people are devouring on Facebook and then, you know, and then spitting that stuff out, regurgitating it out in their day-to-day -day lives. It feels like, gosh, how God, how God can we overcome this public witness? And then I think about, you know, the, the little yeast that leavens the dough. And I'm reminded again that this public witness, though it be in direct conflict with what is the actual gospel, that the Lord, we, we are like this little yeast. We are salt and light on the earth. And as we continue to leaven that dough, then it continues to flourish on the earth. And I actually believe that even though it looks like Christianity for many who are outside the faith are just like, it's it almost, I've heard people say to me, it's a joke. Like, how could you possibly mm. believe this? And then things that we believe in, like miracles and deliverance and the power of God become this thing that's like, I want nothing to do with that because of our politics, because of our rhetoric, because of how we devour each other. And so I think that we have to return back to this local basic of what does it mean to be in community with others? What does it mean to be the beloved community of God? What does it mean to be a listener? What does it mean to be a learner? How can I serve my neighbor? And stop asking the question, who is my neighbor? <laughs> you know? Yeah, And trying to oh. get out of loving people we disagree <laughs> with and loving people that feel hard to love. It's like, well, are you a believer? It's hard to be a believer. Are you kidding me? It is actually hard to create crucify yourself and to, you know, sacrifice everything to follow the Lord. Like this is not supposed to be a comfortable gospel. It is not a familiar gospel where we're just like, oh, everything should feel good for me. And I should be thriving in my life and have all my needs met. And I'm going to call that Christianity. That my friend is not biblical. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important that we return, you know, to the Lord, that we repent, that we turn from that way of living and learn to sacrifice and grow in generosity and do the hard thing of loving each other and loving our neighbor. This is who God made us to be. You know, this is how we're supposed to shine. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You know, the thing that I just have had to like even hold my own feet to the fire, and that is what does the word of God say? So I've got really strong opinions about different things. Yeah. But what does the Bible say? And, and because here's the thing: if we're not thinking biblically, we're not going to live biblically. That's right. And, and if we're thinking politically, we're going to live politically. If we're thinking critically, we're going to have a critical spirit that invades even our best love. It's going to be, it's going to be tainted. And so I, God just keeps going, whoa, 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 girl, 
Because even when you're right, you can be wrong. And so checking my spirit and, you know, the Bible's just, boy, I'll tell you, we, we were associates pastors at a large church in Oregon with a pastor that we just dearly love, but Mm. we were in the middle of a building program. And so of course, you know what happens in building programs, the enemy just comes in to divide and, and try to cause, cause discord. And so some people that I dearly loved got really angry at my pastor, who I really dearly loved. And I found myself picking sides. I found myself being offended, picking up a fence for him and his beautiful wife. And boy, the Lord took me to scripture and he had me do a word study on judging Mm. and the difference between judgment and discernment. Because the problem is when we're walking in judgment, we can feel so righteous. We can feel so, oh my goodness. But boy, when you look at what is the heart of God and the heart of God, boy, it is unity. (laughs) All through the word of God, we are called to unity. How beautiful it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And Paul writes in Romans 14, a whole chapter on disputable matters, Right, that there are going to be things that I think are so right. Because here's what I realized, the people on the other side of the situation felt just as justified in their point of view as I did. Now, I'm going to have to decide, do do I love my opinion or am I going to love that person? And when I stop loving that person in favor of my opinion, that's when I believe we are doing, we're just going right to the work of the enemy. And the Bible tells us clearly that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And when I start pointing my finger at other people, I have stopped loving. So what do we do, Ashley? Help us here. Yeah. So, you know, initially when I wrote this book, I was going to write about some of the things that you just talked about from um, directly from John 13 through 17, where Jesus gives us three ideas of what it looks like to, for people to know that we're his disciples and what it means. You know, he was about to die on the cross. He's about to leave them. The Holy Spirit is about to fill them. And he needed to tell them, this is who you are in the world. This is how you're supposed to live in the world. This is how you lean into love and into connection with one another. And he tells them, people will know you're my disciples by how you love each other. And then he tells them, people will know that you're mine by the fruit that you bear. And so sometimes in America, American culture, we think fruit is like, do we have a nice car? Do we have a nice house? Do we have nice things? And fruit is actually that fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, Mm. patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So whatever my role is, whatever my job is, whatever hard season I'm in, whatever good season I'm in, whatever my relationships are, wherever my influence is, do I bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Because that tells the world that I belong to Christ. When I'm patient in a situation where I should Mm. not be patient, when I love in a situation where I should not be loving, where I operate in self-control in a situation where it would be almost impossible to do that, that shows people that I belong to the Lord. And the third thing he brings up is unity. Now, I love talking about this because when God created the idea of unity. He was not saying, hey, what I want you to do is assimilate. And what I want you to do is be completely uniform in all your thoughts and all your beliefs and all your ideas. And unfortunately, I believe that in many churches that many of us have grown up in, there's a real hurt there because we've been taught that loyalty is supreme over the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And we've been taught that loyalty is supreme over obedience. And what that does is create a resistance in people, especially young people, to this idea of unity because unity has been used to control 
control people and to assimilate them into a dominant culture well they will do what the leader would like them to do and so i think we have to almost go back to the drawing board what does unity look like right and i've heard people say well if we try to establish unity then isn't it death by committee like if we give everybody a voice won't we just be talking about things forever will we ever get anything done and i write about this in the book because i love this this question it's such a powerful one because to me it bridges a generational gap because the young people are very resistant to that idea of unity and older people i found um you know and feel free to correct me jan uh, uh, joanna but um the older generation very often feels like gosh well if we don't have strong leadership then what's going to happen it's just everything's going to run amok everything's going to take forever we're never going to get anything accomplished and i want to kind of stand in the middle of that with with people of all ages and say wait a minute there's a third way <laughs> we don't have to yeah. stand on these opposite yeah. ends but there's a third way and what that looks like is each of us going, hey, there is an opportunity to have a voice here. And I write about this um, amazing documentary that I saw, and I think you guys would love it. And it's called uh, The Biggest Little Farm. It's on Netflix. I ended up watching it on an airplane. And it's this documentary story about a couple in Santa Monica that makes the decision to move and purchase a large farm. Now, the farm for years had been a monocropping farm. And what this means is that one crop grew there. Now, prior to the, the early 1900s, that is not how farming worked. Farms were created with full diversity. So there was lots of plants, there was lots of fruit, there was lots of vegetables, there was animals, there were all these different things required for the farm to flourish. And then in the 1900s, moving into just recently, um, because of production and because people wanting to produce more. So for like the last hundred years, we've done this thing called monocropping in America. And what we do is we only produce corn or we only produce cotton or we only produce, you know, whatever you, you insert here, berries. Um, or, or an orchard of oranges. And so because of that, over the hundred years, what we've seen is that it's actually destroyed the land and it's created mm. agricultural runoff and it's made everything so toxic to have one crop growing. And they go on this farm and they rehabilitate it through a process of polyculture and what that means, polycropping. And what that means is that they, they begin to grow everything. <laughs> and it's this beautiful, rich, diverse farm. And it's arduous in the beginning. But what happens is it's one of the most thriving farms in America because they put mm -hmm. everything back in. And so I believe that God is doing this. I believe it parallels the spiritual journey of the church. I believe it's a prophetic word for the church that the more that we look to polyculture, and I'm not talking about polytheism, right? Like we have one right. God, <laughs> we have one Savior, Jesus, we have one Holy Spirit, this triune God that we worship. So that part stays intact, but we need to return to this idea of diversity because in diversity, things actually grow. And in a polyculture of a farm, you even allow the enemy <laughs> into the farm. You don't always kill the predator because actually they're in nature, things work together. So that's a lesson for us to go, I have to love even my enemy because there's a lesson here in me loving my enemy. And there's a lesson here in my enemy being able to come into the fold, into the flock, into the, the body of Christ to be healed, to grow, for me to learn from that experience. And so there's so many things that we can learn from this agricultural journey that America has been on. And then also I believe it looks like the church, you know, you know, um, Martin Luther King Jr. said himself that the, the most divided hour of the week is on Sundays. <laughs> it's it's yeah. at church on Sundays. But what, what does it look like as the body returns to this idea of true unity? Because the disciples outside of Jesus would not have been sitting together at that table.
Right. They would not have chosen to hang out with each other except those who were brothers. <laughs> like they had differences. I mean, one of them, you know, was was very rich and one of them was very poor. They were diff- different ethnicities. They had different beliefs about religion. They have different beliefs about women. They have different beliefs about the sick and the poor and the diseased. And so I think it's so important for us to look at what is the true life of Jesus? Who did he gather? Why did he gather them? And for the church to return to this idea that unity actually means we're all here together. Does that take longer to move things forward? Yes, it does, <laughs> because we have yeah. to ask questions. We have to listen. We have to learn. We have to grow. But in the long run, that is the thing that produces health. That is the thing that produces vitality and life and life more abundant. And so that is actually what true unity is. Fruit is flowing. Love is flowing. Unity is flowing, not in assimilation, not in uniformity, but because we all are here together with Christ. Mm, I love that so much. You know, it reminds me we're we're studying First Peter in Sunday school, and where it talks about that we're living stones and that we're joined, fitly joined together, rising up in Christ. And so, there, one of the beautiful things that the Lord gave me during that study was we got to visit um, Jerusalem and we saw the temple walls. The temple, of course, is no longer there, but we have we can see the original walls of the Temple Mount. Mm. And those stones were so precisely created that they fit so well together, you can't even put a piece of paper between them. Oh. There's no there's no mortar. But here's the interesting thing. They were not shaped on the mount on the temple mount. They were shaped in the quarry. And as I let God shape me in my personal walk. If I, as I let him deal with those rough edges right. and those little protruding ideas that I think are so important, but he says, yeah, that is destroying love. So that's got to go. The, as I let him shape me, when it comes time to put me in my place in the body of Christ, I'm going to be fitly joined because I'm fitly joined by him. And I love that idea. We're, that means we're going to have to let go of some of our pet, our pet opinions and our you know, soapboxes. And I'm going to have to be willing to listen to differing views. And again, we're not talking about theology that says that, you know, we, we agree one Christ, one Lord, you yes. know, we, it's, it's Jesus alone. Yes. But boy, within that, there's going to be those different opinions. And that's why all through scripture, in fact, Romans 14, 19 says, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual evidence edification. Ephesians 4, 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And so like you're saying, this is not going to be easy, but this is the work that we're called to as believers. Oh, I love it. You are so wise. I love being, I'm just, Oh, God is so wise. God is so wise. He is, but you look like him and I'm so honored to be here with Mm. you. And I finished my final chapter. It's called, I love you till the cows come home. And I finished that final chapter on Romans 14 because something Mm. the Lord taught me through that is it also says in that chapter, do not be condemned by what you approve. And it talks about weak faith and strong faith and how we judge one another to have weak faith or strong faith. And, but it says, do not be condemned by what you approve. And I felt so strongly the Lord say to me, look at you. Like sometimes you are condemning yourself by what you approve 
approve. And then it goes on to say that God is able to make him who believes stand. <laughs> so yeah. it's like those who believe, how we judge them, they are still standing because God has them standing, but we tend to judge them and we tend to condemn ourselves by telling people what we approve of. I approve of your politics. I approve of the way you think about Jesus. I approve of this. I approve of that. And we set a standard not only over people, but we are setting a burden on ourselves and we are supposed yeah. to be gentle with one another. You said it earlier, reasonableness um, be evident to all. I'd never heard that before and I love it and I will continue to use it because I've heard it, you know, gentleness be evident to all isn't as how one translation says it. But that's the point is it's like we cannot go around parading as the, you know, judge Jesus and we cannot go around par parading as if we ourselves with our finite minds are always capable of understanding exactly what an infinite God thinks and believes about everything. Why are we so certain? And so I think it's that level of humility that we can have strong in our convictions, strong in what scripture says, but this gentleness, this humility that says, you know what, I don't know everything. And I also don't know your context. You know, perhaps what we're judging could be somebody's next best step. You know, like right. we're all on this journey with Jesus. If you had looked at me a year into my faith, you would have thought, wow, she's not a Christian, but I had <laughs> come so far. Mm. And so for those who knew they were able to not condemn me by what they approved of, but they were able to or not condemn themselves by what they approved of when it came to me, but they were able to walk with me on a journey and a process. And so we need to remember that with each other and be gentle and love one another and walk in humility and know that God, who is able to make our, our brother, our sister stand. So we don't need to be making people fall with our judgments. We need to Amen. be holding them up and loving them. <laughs> it's appropriate. And then let ourselves be judged the same way. I need that gentleness. I need that mercy for my growth. <laughs> That's right. So one of the things I love about the book is that you just, you lay it out, you know, you, you're talking about learning to love, um, language matters. How do we love our neighbors? When class and gender and race collide, I, I, I think this is such an important chapter that could probably be a whole nother podcast episode. But then you also talk about when conflict calls and that there, because I think you're right. I think Either we're going to the extreme that we're in conflict with everybody and everybody has to think the way we think, right? or we're not being willing to talk about the hard issues at all. Can you unpack what does healthy conflict look like? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I love to help people grow in is, a, is an understanding of themselves. Why do we do what we do? Right. So if I shrink down completely in conflict, or if I become a stonewaller, someone who's unwilling to engage or unable to speak, which that was me, I used to be a stonewaller in marriage um, because that's how I was raised. One person in my family could talk and one person couldn't. And so because of mm. that, I inherited that sort of stonewall response. I was terrified to have conflict in intimate spaces. And also we're we're very nuanced because it at work and in friendship, it's very easy for me to engage in conflict. I do not mind talking about hard things, but in my most intimate relationships, I struggle to do that. And so I think this idea of healthy conflict first comes from an awareness of why we do what we do. Why do we shut down? Why do we rage? What are the things that might be lingering from childhood? What are the voices that might be living in our head? What are the things that have shaped us, you know, from our education, maybe? Like, because we we spend a good 30 hours a week for 18 years, for 13 years <laughs> in schools, learning and growing. And so if you think about that, that's a, that's a huge chunk of time. What did you inherit from the classroom? What did you inherit from those spaces? What did you inherit in your faith spaces, in your home spaces that sort of shaped you to be who you are? Now, all of that can be overcome. 
that's the good news. Our brains rewire, you know, the negative things. It is possible to become a different person, to engage in conflict. So it starts there, becoming self-aware. The next thing is growing in honesty. And how we do that is, what do I want? What do I think? What do I need? And what do I feel? And for some people listening, that is actually an impossible thing to do. And perhaps you've been taught that your needs, that your wants, that your feelings, that your thoughts are not important, that they don't matter, that you shouldn't speak them, that you don't even need to spend time figuring them out because you need to be concerned about everybody else's. But the truth is, until we know those things about ourselves, it's difficult to engage in healthy conflict because we cannot share our needs and we cannot share our desires and we cannot share what we want want in that conflict. And at the center of a healthy conflict is honesty and integrity. And so you got to know those things going in. And then I think that another way to think about healthy conflict, you know, so you've got self-awareness, you've got this idea of integrity and, and knowing your own needs, knowing your own thoughts, knowing your own feelings. And the next thing is practicing sort of reflective listening. Like it's got to be reciprocal and you have to be able to mirror the other person, to ask a lot of questions, to suspend judgment so that you can yeah. engage in a healthy conflict and then begin to have a dialogue. And so if you are um, a, an active listener, then that means that you're not thinking thinking about how to respond the whole time the other person is talking. And so very often when I'm engaged in a conflict, I like to do some mirror practices where somebody might share something that's hard and I'll repeat it back to them. I'll say, this is what I think I'm hearing you say. Is that correct? Do I have that right? So that I'm understanding what they're saying and then they can understand what I'm saying. The conversation is clear. It flows more. I also think it's good to have healthy conflict at a time when you can. If you don't fight well at 10 p.m., do not have a conversation, okay? Like with your <laughs> yeah. roommate, with your spouse, with your brother, with your mom. Mama, like, don't do it at 10 p.m. if it's too late for you and it's going to be a knockdown drag out or you're just going to completely shut down. That's the wrong time. So it's okay to say, actually, I need a little more time. Can we pick this up tomorrow? Or actually, I'm an internal processor and I need more time. You're going so fast in this conflict and I'm having trouble. Can I have a few more minutes to think? Like, ask for what you need. Dialogue openly. And I always like to say here with healthy conflict is that, you know, sometimes you're in a relationship with a boss, with a partner, with a spouse, with, you know, a friend that is actually not healthy and not safe. And so some of the practices that I just talked about don't work when you're not in a decently healthy relationship. And so sometimes you might have to get help. You might have to go to therapy. You might have to get some support. You might have to ask for a mediator. Like there may be some other things that are needed. And I think it's important for me to say that because sometimes we try to practice these principles and they don't work and we're wondering why. And sometimes it's because mm. the relationship is not healthy or safe. So you got to figure that out too. Um, and I realize I probably just fire hosed you guys, but those are a few things um, that I think are helpful in healthy conflict and normalizing it, right? Joanna, you know this, it, a conflict is normal. Normal. There is no relationship without conflict and tension, and it shouldn't be happening all the time, 24-7, but it is normal, you guys, and we've made it this thing that is just awful to, to engage in when the truth is conversation and dialogue is what healthy conflict is. <laughs> it's all yeah. it is. It's all it is. And so it's normal. It's not something to be afraid of or run from. <laughs> in fact, I think it actually, at least in my personal relationship, it has the potential to really grow love. Yes. You know, because dishonesty, we begin to build walls against each other. Yeah. When we're not willing to go there, we, you know, we may not say what's wrong, but we live as though there's something wrong. And so I know when John and I have been learned over these years how to have those, <laughs> those healthy, uh, you know, what do some people call it? I can't remember the word, but 
you know, conversations yes, yes. <laughs> that, that actually fellowship. <laughs> yes. There you go. <laughs> Intense fellowship on the other side of it. When we really take, do our best to hear each other. And I think that's so important. You know, just, I've had to just be willing to hear John. I can get so quick to shut him down because I really, really, what I I don't really want to have a conversation. I want him to admit that I'm right. Right, (laughs) And if I can be open and go, I just help me understand. Because if we can understand each other, then we're able to really love each other. And we're able to make space for those places where we go away from the conversation without possibly having anyone agree to the other person, but we come away loving one another and, and giving space for each other. So, oh, this is so good. One of the things I love is the special feature at the end of each chapter. Can you talk to us about that? Yes. So at the end of every chapter, to help, to offer some practical help is I offer an attitude and an affirmation a reflection and a technique. So let me explain those very quickly. An attitude. So like after the first chapter, the attitude is curiosity about myself, about God and about others. So when we have an attitude of curiosity, we tend to be a little less judgmental. We tend to be a little more lighthearted. We tend to be a little bit more fun (laughs) and then an affirmation. So this is the, the one that follows the first chapter. I am able to thoughtfully examine the voices and circumstances that shaped me. I am courageous enough to ask God to search me, to see if there is any offensive way in me and to lead me in the path of everlasting life. So this is an affirmation that you can meditate on every day to think about changing your mind, rewiring those brain patterns that you might have about conflict or communication or connection and community. And then the next one is a reflection. It's just a simple question. After the first chapter, it's why do I do what I do? (laughs) And you can just sit for a few minutes and think about that. And then the technique. So I want you to create space for critical thinking and reflection. So I want you to set an alarm for 10 minutes every day for a week to just sit in silence before God with no other distractions and no other influence. And then I ask the question, is there anything you want to give God? And then the second part of that question is, is there anything God wants to give you? And so in that sweet space of 10 minutes of silence, what do you want to give God? You want to unload a burden? Do you want to give God praise? Do you want to give God your anger? (laughs) He can take it. He can handle it. He can hold it. And is there anything he might want to give you? Is there an exchange of peace, an exchange of rest, an exchange of grace that God might want to give you in that, in that short window of time of just doing nothing but being? And so the end of every chapter has those four things so that you're equipped to handle life, that you can begin to change your attitude. You can begin to have an affirmation that really guides you and strengthens you in truth. And um, and that reflection, that idea of looking back on on who you are and how you became who you become, and then an actual technique. So I really, I love this book, you guys, and I hope it's such a blessing to you. Mm. (laughs) I know it's going to be, I know it's going to be one of the things I'm super excited is that it has a back of the book study guide so that we can do this with small groups. Uh, You know, we do ladies Bible study, but I was telling you, oh man, I'd love to do this with our Wednesday night mixed groups, small groups, because this is, this is a message that we, I really feel it, it's so needed today. And I think, you know, it's going to be needed for the future because Jesus told us clearly in the world, you're going to have trouble. And especially at the end of days, at the end of time, the Bible says we're going to become lovers of ourselves, Mm -hmm. that the enemy is going to come and cause more discord, more disunity because he hates 
He hates God's children. And so he, I really believe I, this might be an over-exaggeration, but I feel as though the enemy has put a bullseye on the unity of the body of Christ. And, and he's doing everything he can to make us convinced that we're right and everybody else is wrong. Come on. And that if you can't, if you don't think the way I think, I have drawn a line in the sand and you are no longer my brother, you are my foe. Yep. And that is, oh my goodness, we are falling for the plot of the enemy to cause discord. Another verse that came to mind is Hebrews 12, 14, where God says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And then it goes right into this. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And oh my goodness, I am seeing this. I'm watching us as the body of Christ, missing the grace of God in our relationships with each other in the church, missing the grace of God in our relationships with our neighbors, in our marriages. And so we need this message. Uh, Talk to me, your your title, Love is the Resistance. (laughs) Where did that come from? Yeah, so I'm a justice gal. I love Jesus and I love justice. And I've been working in those spaces for the last 15 years. And, you know, one of the things I wanted us to do, like I'm all about like resistance and, you know, doing the things that need to be done in order for injustice to back up and for justice to make way. But at the same time, I want people to understand that love is actually the true resistance. Like to actually like real love is transformative. It transcends our differences. It transcends, you know, people's struggles and issues and problems and pain. Love is the thing that we need. It is true resistance. And and for me, that's why I wanted to write about that. And I don't want us to have this romantic Disneyland version of love in our lives. I want us to have the true, sacrificial, generous, kind, overwhelming, radical sense of love in our lives. Because I really believe not only is that who God is, but when we have that alive on the inside of us, we become passionate. We become able to weather the storms of life, the difficulties of life, and we become able to be the kind of people who will cultivate a rich sense of connection, meaningful relationships, reciprocity in our lives. And that is actually how true justice comes. (laughs) Mm, So, so good. So, so good. Going back to that study in 1 Peter, um, you know, the Bible tells us, but in First Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen people, mm-hmm. a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And it talks so much about us being a priesthood, but I loved what I discovered in my study. The word, the Latin word for priest is pontifex. And it means bridge builder, mm, bridge builder. That. Oh my goodness! And then it talks about having that that people we would we would silence the talk of evil people by the way that we live, and the good conduct of our lives. And that word for good is kaleos, and it means winsome, lovely, mm. beautiful. <laughs> and so all of our opinions. All of our dogmatic, you know, stands on, on issues. Oh, I believe issues are important, but if it isn't love, if it isn't love, if it's not birthed out of the spirit of God working in our lives, it's just going to be 
It's going to be us standing on one side of the river, shouting at the others, yes, but with no bridge to bring them over to the love of Jesus Christ. So good. It's so wow. good. Amen. Would you pray for us as we close, Ashley? Yes. Lord, I thank you for every single person who's tuning in to listen to this dialogue, God. And you know the things that they're dealing with, Lord. You know the things that they're facing. You know the conflicts that are in their lives, the tensions that are in their lives, the character flaws they might be dealing with, the relationship struggles that they're going through, Father, the disappointments that might be um, stuck within them, Lord. And I just pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would be a very present help in time of need. God, you love us. You are our advocate. You are our guide. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will not only give great courage by your presence and by that sense that you are our help, Lord, but that you will also give people practical wisdom to be able to engage in their day-to-day life, Lord, that you would help them understand that they are significant right where they are, Lord, that their daily life matters. Father, whether they are folding laundry or they are taking care of children or they are an empty nester, Lord, whatever season of life they might be in, God, I thank you that you will give them wisdom for today, God, and that you will guide them in their relationships. And Lord, where relationships might've broken down. And I just feel so pressed to pray for people who might've even Mm. lost family members over politics or um, conspiracies or just the different things that people might be engaged in. Lord, I pray that you'd be a comfort and a help. And Lord, that you would guide people back to the truth with love, with goodness, God, with grace, and just give people wisdom to know how to navigate these situations, God. But more than anything, I pray you'd be present in that heartbreak and in that loss and in that grief. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're not aloof that you're not a God who's far away, that you're a God who's right here, closer than our breath, that you care for us, Lord, that you love us. And so I thank you that that love would be made tangible today. And we love you, Holy Spirit, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Oh, I I just want to echo that last prayer. You, You guys... We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not just reconciling people to God, yeah. but it, it is reconciling people to people and, yeah. and, and ourselves to others. And so let's just not fall for the plot of the enemy, that bitter root. Let's not miss the grace. Let's love each other well. And, and Ashley, I just thank you so much for writing this book. I'm excited because even though it hasn't released yet, people can pre-order. So tell us where to go. Yes. You can pre-order wherever you get your books. If you want to do it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, wherever you're shopping, you can find this book. And I would be so blessed if you would take time to, to go get it and read it and let me know what you think about it when it comes out. It would be a joy to hear from you guys about how it's impacting you and if it's helping you. <laughs> Awesome. And you have a wonderful podcast. And so could you tell us about that and also where people can find you online? Absolutely. So I hang out the most on Instagram, but I'm all over the social channels, wherever you like to to consume um, social media, I'm there. And it's at Ash Abercrombie. And then we have a podcast with my dear, dear friend, Tiffany Bloom called Why Though? And we basically explore a conversation every week. So very similar to this, we, we talk about hard topics or we talk about lighthearted things and just enjoy through good laughs, a bunch of good wisdom. So I recommend um, you come wherever you get your podcast. Go listen to Why Though? I love it. I love it. Well, I am sure glad you joined us today, Ashley. I'm looking forward to see what God's going to do through this book and through you, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Well, I really needed that conversation. Love really is the resistance, you guys. Satan wants to sow discord and hate. He wants us to just polarize in our opinions. But as Christians, you guys, we're we're not only called to speak the truth in love, we're also, we're also called to listen. 
but that requires keeping a close check on our hearts rather than constantly pointing out the wrong attitudes of others. I hope you'll go to the show notes at joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash 058 and pre-order Ashley's book. You'll not only get the book when it comes out in August, those pre-orders really go a long ways in getting news about the book out in front of more people. Perhaps as you listen to this episode, you realize that there are some hard conversations you've been avoiding. I can tell you this from personal experience. God wants to give you the right words, but more importantly, he wants to give you the right heart so that as Paul writes in Galatians 6.1, we can gently and humbly go to people that we don't agree with, helping them back on the right path, remembering that the next time it might be you who is wrong. So, avoiding conflicts builds walls, but handled correctly, doing it God's way builds relationship so that everyone involved can live and love and lead like Jesus. See you next time.